Hi guys, welcome to the Whiskey Smoke. I'm your host, Yuante Curry, and today my good company is Harold Madison, a beverage director with the Museum of Fine Arts, also a assistant brand ambassador with Glenfiddich Balvini. Welcome, Harold. Thank you for having me. Anytime, sir. I see you've brought some nice stuff. Uh, tell us what you have. Uh, so, given the uh, season, I figured I'd do some uh, Game of Thrones type stuff. So I brought in the Johnny Walker White Walker, and I brought in the Game of Thrones edition uh, for House Lannister, which is the uh, Lagavulin. And I also brought in a hard-to-get bottle of the Bacardi. And this is a 25-year-old rum that is finished in a sherry cask, and it is only available at the Bacardi Distillery. So I also brought in a couple of handmade pipes that I made as well as a few great tobaccos and a couple of Ichiban cigars. Lovely. Uh, I don't even know where to get started. There's so much to, to start from. Uh, tell us about this White Walker. I mean, winter is here, so. Uh, you know, I saw, it, I saw them tentatively talking about this um, maybe about a year ago when Game of Thrones was uh, ending its initial season, and it seemed like such a gimmick. Uh, I just thought it was going to be a repackaged Johnny Walker Black Label, but it is not. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember what two of the main whiskeys were, but they did go to the north of Scotland to get them. And it is not Black Label at all. It is actually, I think they designed it to be drank while very cold. But And, and I did that. I just had this for the first time Friday night. Was it Friday? Yeah, it was Friday night. And it was very good. Uh, got a lot of chocolate notes, uh, fruit. It was just a really enjoyable dram. And I did not expect that. Okay. I really did not expect that. Um, the Lagavulin, the House Lannister edition, is a, it's definitely a Lagavulin. It's got that peaty punch, uh, caramel sweetness to it. I liked it. Okay. I liked it a lot. Um, I also had an opportunity to try that one, the House Stark and the Night's Watch edition with uh, Jesse Wood, who you've previously had on the program. And uh, those were all fantastic. And then lastly, the Bacardi. Uh, that one is, and I'm, I'm just going to turn this bottle for a moment. So this is the, uh, the Casa Special Reserve. And it is a 25-year-old rum, as I stated. Uh, so it is a little bit darker, but it gets some of that color from the sherry cask finish. So you do taste the, it, you do taste it as rum, but a lot of that Scotch influence comes through, and it's just very different. It's very enjoyable. So you've mentioned a lot about all of these great whiskeys you brought. Where should we start? Um. You know, honestly, the White Walker is probably a good place to start. Now, I haven't chilled it down, but it drinks fine at room temperature. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Here you go. I'll let you do the honors. All right. Perfect. So it does tell you to freeze the bottle. And what I did notice, we kept looking at the little White Walker guy. Uh -huh. He doesn't change, but on the side of the bottle here, it actually says, uh, winter is here. Wow. So, <laughs> like the Coors Light, it lets you know it's cold. Exactly. There you <laughs> Thank are. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Wow, that's an incredible nose. Cheers. Cheers. That's very rich. Wow, this is a drinker. It is. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could see winter being here, and I just sit around and enjoy this in the gold. The interesting thing is when I was picking it up, everyone was telling me, don't open the bottle. It's a gimmick bottle. Don't open it. But I really think that if you've got a bottle, you should buy one if you want to keep it and have it hang around to do that. But do yourself a favor and really buy a bottle to enjoy because otherwise you're just doing the whiskey a disservice yeah i totally agree with that 
I mean, why have whiskey if you're not going to drink it and share it? The, I totally agree. The, totally agree. I mean, sometimes even, you know, an average whiskey can be elevated because of the company you're in. So, Oh, yeah. yeah. The other thing that's interesting is if you start off with certain whiskeys, if you go in a particular progression, such as maybe you're not the biggest fan of peat, and you just advance up to a peat, starting with a lighter peat, you might actually enjoy some of those heavier peated whiskeys. You start light and work your way up. And sometimes just having that whiskey prior to the one that you're currently enjoying, is it's going to change the experience. It'll change the flavor profile and everything, just like, as you know, with cigars. Mm -hmm. If you get the right whiskey to pair with that cigar, it's just phenomenal. Phenomenal. I like that. Some people don't uh, realize how you have to prime your palate for certain drinks because you can have a, a great whiskey and your palate is not primed for it. And then you have a bad experience and now you figure forever that that whiskey wasn't good because your palate wasn't primed for it. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. So I see the tobacco up here. I see your pipes up here. And I'm really enjoying this White Walker. And it's making me wonder now if this is to be you know, drink cold, in the cold, and you have the Lagavulin that's peated, and you have the pipes and the tobacco. It just sounds like a barrel of fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. Let's see here. Uh, have you ever had any pipe tobacco with with the, with the White Walker yet? I have not yet. Um, but just giving, given its uh, flavor profile, uh, I did bring three tobaccos today, uh, two are Davidoff, mm -hmm. Um, so I have the Scottish uh, mixture, which is a Virginia long-cut tobacco. Mm -hmm. So there, there is a difference between pipe tobacco and cigar tobacco. Most people don't realize. Um, with, with pipe tobacco, depending on what type of tobacco you're having, it can influence things. So Virginia tobaccos generally are sweeter. Oriental tobaccos are generally spicier, and then you have things like Latakia, which is like a revered, very smoky, earthy type of tobacco. Um, it's got kind of an interesting background and history to it. And then there's Perique, which is from, uh, I believe it's St. James Parish, Louisiana. And that's the only place it's made. And then there's Kentucky Fire Cured. Um and there's also burly tobacco, which is most commonly found in cigarettes. But sometimes it makes its way into pipe tobacco, and it actually has a nuttier profile to it. But if I was going to enjoy something with this, since this is a sweeter whiskey, I would probably do the Davidoff Scottish blend okay. or a Scottish mixture, I'm sorry. And it actually it, it is on the sweeter side, and they do finish it with a touch of Scotch whiskey, although they don't say which one. but. I would think that would be proprietary, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was shocked that you didn't say uh, aromatic, like, a, you know, like some vanilla blend or something like that. I mean, you could definitely do that. Uh, I didn't think about it today about bringing uh, such as uh, Davidoff's uh, Danish mixture. That actually has a little bit of, of black uh, Cavendish in it, which is kind of a vanilla note tobacco. Um, the ones I did bring, I did bring their English mixture, which for most cigar smokers, I think the, uh, the English mixture is going to be right up their alley. And that's because the Latakia tobacco influence in it, it's smoky, it's earthy. It gives that, that hint of leather. You might pick up some notes of chocolate in it. Not always, but you'll definitely get that leather and, and, and smoke. And one of the tobaccos I actually brought, the Dunhill Early Morning Pipe, is now discontinued. Hmm. And that was kind of a blow to the cigar smoke, or, I'm sorry, pipe smoking to me, community because Dunhill was a very beloved uh, pipe tobacco. And they have decided that they're not going to sell the name. They're just going to hold on to it. And maybe it'll be years from now that we see it again. And I found some imitations, but they just... They just don't cut it. So that's uh, that's a rare bird right there. Yeah. Sometimes things are never as good as the original, you know, copies or whatnot. Right. But I've got so many questions for you. And, and as we talk and enjoy this great whiskey, time is just flying by. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, 
why whiskey? That's always a question I ask people. Why whiskey? I mean, you have such an appreciation for it, and you're cur- curator at the museum for whiskey. So, what got you into whiskey? Um, this is going to be a little weird, but my father used, to, you know, like any kid, had you do yard work and stuff like that, and uh, he one day just goes, "Well, how about instead of paying you to cut the grass?" How about you drink whiskey? And of course, I was like a young kid. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> do something what the adults do. And so I must have been about 14 or 15 at the time. And he's like, here's the conditions. You can't leave the house. You can't go and play with your friends. You got to stay stay in. I'm like, all right. And I just loved it. I, th- I think the first whiskey I had was actually a Canadian whiskey. I'm not even sure which one it is now. But that's what I had. And so if I wanted 20 bucks to cut the grass or something, great, I got it. But every now and again, it, you get that opportunity to have the whiskey. And then when I uh, joined the military, I got stationed overseas in Europe. And I think that's when I got a greater appreciation of it, especially after I got back uh, from Bosnia. I decided I wanted to see as much of the world as I could. So I took whatever leave I had, got into a got into a rental car with my friend. And we drove to England, went up to Scotland, and that's where I got introduced to the Dalmore and Glenfiddich and other single malts and was just blown away. And then that just kind of cemented the whole thing for me. There it's there's something about whiskey though. I think more so than any other spirit that just and maybe you can see it in a whiskey community it's there's not like a gin community there's not a vodka community this is true it's there's this great love for whiskey and I don't know what it is but anywhere you go you can almost find like a whiskey lover and and they appreciate everything that goes into it maybe the wood when when it's uh, aging in it maybe it imparts some some kind of spirit into the spirit itself. Like you're taking the spirit of the wood into the spirit of the grain and they're just coming together and, you know, it just touches our spirit. It's a lot of spirits. Oh, that's a lot of spirits. <laughs> I like the way you put that. I've never heard anyone say it like that before. I'm going to coin that. I'm sorry. We'll use it. You've coined it. I'll <laughs> use it. But I like the way you think on that one. Uh, I mean, maybe, you know, you have the wood, people's hands making it, you know, all of the coopers and you know, the people who put it together, the, the the master blender, and you have all these people going in into making this product special. And now when we receive it, you know, I guess that's what creates the bond, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that, uh, especially if you get to go to a distiller and you see the passion of the people behind all this. Uh, like if anybody out there actually gets to go to one of the Balvini rare crafts, I don't even know if they'll be doing any more in the future. Hopefully they will. But when you, when you get to actually see the Coopers work on the barrels or anything like that, I mean, it just behooves you to go and see some of that. You'll gain so much more respect about the actual spirit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm loving everything about this whiskey. Well, guys, we're going to come back in just a short moment. We're going to talk more whiskey, cigars, pipes with Harold. And until then, stay tuned. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Whiskey Smoke. I'm still here with Harold, and we're still enjoying this great whiskey that he's brought. So, Harold, I see that you brought some custom pipes, pipes that you've made, and we were talking during the break about, you know, how craftsmanship is something that you just don't see m- much more in it anymore. A lot of people just buy things, and they just move on from once they buy something, you know, that's it. But these are a couple of custom-made, beautiful pipes that you've put together. Tell us about that and why you got into making your own. Uh I had a discussion with um, one of the cigar shop proprietors, and they had just made the mention one day of, well, you can get into pipe smoking. It's cheaper than cigar smoking. And I said, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, a tin of pipe tobacco can range anywhere from $5 on up. But you get a lot of smokes out of it. You can get 50 smokes. It depends on how heavy you pack your bowl and your pipe. But... 
no pipes were really catching my eye as to what I wanted to to purchase. Uh, I did like Meerschaum pipes, but mm-hmm. Meerschaum pipes are very expensive. And then you've got to be wary of if it's natural Meerschaum or pressed. And the pressed pipes can fall apart a little more easily than the regular ones. You also have to be very careful with Meerschaum because they're very sensitive to changes in temperature. So if you go out on a cold day and you're smoking a cold Meerschaum pipe and, you know, you get that pipe too hot, the bowl can crack and it's very expensive to repair. So I had originally ordered just a block of briar wood and some basic hand tools. And I decided I was going to make my own pipe. And my original pipe, which is the one with the, uh, the man's face on it, that one, uh, I actually found a flaw in the original drilling. Mm-hmm. And so I had to deviate. I noticed that the hole was drilled off center and it was kind of disheartening. So I didn't originally intend to put a face on it. And I noticed one side was going to be much heavier than the other. And I didn't want a lopsided pipe. <laughs> and it actually worked out to my advantage because it just made me kind of upgrade my sculpting skills a little bit. Um, I've been messing around with a game, uh, Warhammer 40,000 or Warhammer 40K, when I was in my army days. And uh, you'd build little models and play war with them, basically. But one of the things that was interesting is you could modify these little models. And I enjoyed that aspect of it greatly. And so doing, actually creating the pipe and and doing it all with hand tools is, is, is definitely like a labor of love. So when I, I started to actually work on that, you know, that, that pipe is made with, with just the briar wood and rasp, a rasp and files and sandpaper and a handsaw. That's it. Um, I didn't use any power tools with that. And it just got to be, it was just fun. My hands were cut up. They were, they were bleeding, you know, from gouge bites and everything else. Uh, I've since upgraded my toolkit to include more gouges and chisels and things of that nature so I can do finer lines and things of that nature. But there's just something really satisfying about it. And at the end of the day, when you can actually pack a pipe that you made yourself it's just it's just so much better and it actually kind of spiraled into other things so now I make my own soap I make my own beard and hair products and that sounds weird but when you actually know what's going into something that you're making Mm -hmm. it makes the whole thing that much more interesting and enjoyable and when you can control the ratios of what you put into it at it really, it really changes your mind on things, and it really makes you question what, how things are made. Right. And you can, you can appreciate what goes into something so much more. Like, it's great to be able to see a pipe that's made on a lathe. There's nothing wrong with any of those. But when you are able to actually sit there and shape that bowl by your hand and everything else, you know, there's little flaws and imperfections. And that's that just like really brings it home. It's like it's like engraving. A machine can do engraving, but when you actually see a master at work, it's it's just something else. And I'm by no means a master. This is this is just a hobby for me. But um, I, I I enjoy it. But I imagine the pride of ownership would increase. You know, every time you smoke it, because you know that you made this and. It's your custom one-off. No one else has anything like this. Oh, it, it definitely does. I mean, I've walked around smoking the pipe just around town, and people will stop me and be like, where did you get that? It's like, I made it. And then they're like, where is that? It's like, no, I made it. <laughs> and they'll look at you skeptically like you did not. And you have to really show them and say, no, I actually did do this. I made this. And I can pull up the pictures on my phone and be like, look, this is the block it originally was. And it just over time becomes this. And, you know, that that's really something. And then you start looking, especially with me working at the art museum, you see like one of the marble sculptures in there. And someone did that. 
You know, somebody took that marble and worked with that stone and did that. And it's, it's the same thing. The only thing is, like, my preferred medium is wood. And eventually one day I'll work my way up to Meerschaum. But I don't know. Uh, it's not anytime soon. Uh, I think right now it's maybe a little too delicate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of learned a little bit about woodworking and stuff because I used to make knives. And when, when I did that, you're shaping the handles. And, um, you know, most of the time I just bought knife blanks. And then you would just affix whatever handles or um, slabs that you wanted to it. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so much more satisfying when you actually have something that you can actually just make yourself and actually use. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, craftsmanship is, is a one of the dying breeds that, that we see today. And not only craftsmanship dying, but just pipe smoking in general. When you go to mm-hmm. lounges, you don't see many pipe smokers. Or when you're just out in public, you don't see pipe smokers. So, you know, to see someone appreciate a pipe is just amazing. Yeah, and the, and the smell that just comes from them, uh, like we were talking during the break, no one ever complains about pipe smoke. Right. <laughs> no one ever complains about pipe smoke. And uh, the nicotine level, um, I don't know. It's probably about the same as a cigar. So, there's just something about a gentleman. I mean, when you're holding that pipe and you're and you holding that bowl in your your hand, and then you you know you're putting your finger over it or or however you're doing it to keep it hot, and mm-hmm. then you let it go and let it breathe, and you know, and you're pulling out the smoke. It's just it's just something about that gentlemanly process as you're smoking that pipe that you just appreciate more and more every time you do it, you know. Right. And just the, the tamping down of, of the tobacco, the lighting it, the packing, everything is just classic. It, it is. And, and what most people don't realize is, uh, well, it's kind of like driving a stick shift. Um, you know, a cigar is pretty easy. You light it. And as long as it's got that nice, even burn all the way down, everything's good. You might have to occasionally cut off or relight. But you rarely have to do that with a cigar. But with a pipe, uh, once you start hearing that little whistle, after a while you get instinctive and you start grabbing one of your little check tools or your nail and you pack that thing down again. When you really get when you really get into it, you can start doing it with your finger. Just pack it with your finger. And I've done it a couple of times until you get like one cherry that sticks to your finger and you're how. <laughs> <laughs> Then you're like, uh, maybe I'll just carry a nail with me next time. But yeah, tamping it and then cleaning it. I don't know. It's it's just a different experience. I enjoy it. I enjoy we've it. we've been talking about smoking and you we have the Game of Thrones stuff here and you know, just think about, you know, that how far pipe smoke goes back, you know, it goes back to those times. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean back then it wasn't even tobacco, it was I don't even know, probably chicory or something like that. <laughs> I can't even think what they'd put in it. Man, that's amazing. But whatever it was, it tended to make them happy. I've never seen one where someone was smoking a pipe and they were, you know, sad about it. Exactly, exactly. Speaking of smoke, did you want to try that? Uh, yeah, let's, that let's, let's try the Lagavulin. Let's see what it's about. That's the go. most beautiful sound. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow, you can smell that smoke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a nine-year. So as far as Lagavulin goes, this is a little bit on the younger side. Hmm. Nose is great, and let's try. Classic Lagavulin. Great mouthfeel. Rich peaty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I could almost hear the music playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is some excellent stuff. I really wish I could have grabbed a few more. Uh, they had a special where you could have got the entire edition for right around five hundred. Oh man! 
and I just didn't want to bite the bullet on that one. I was like, nah, I'll wait. They'll probably do another re-release or something. I don't know if they will. I hope they do. That's the sad thing about whiskey. Like, you think about it and you budget-wise, and then you think about it and you're like, is this a gimmick? Then you think about it and you think about it, and before you know it's gone. Right. Yeah, and then you just sit there and hope, hope, hope that they do something with it again. Yeah. And when they don't, you're like, oh. And then there's the infamous secondary market. Oh, man. No. Uh, that's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Double-edged sword because, you know, it's capitalism at its finest. Some would say it's vulturism at its finest. Yeah. You know, so it's a double-edged double sword. But, man, this is rich. I'm trying to think about, you know, they they named it. House Lannister, and I'm familiar with Game of Thrones. It's my ringtone, and right. I'm wondering what about this one, you know, made it House Lannister. And I've said it's rich already, so right. could that be it? Or? Maybe, because I was trying to, I was thinking about that, because when we tried that other, a, a couple other selections, we tried House Stark, and that's a doll Winnie, and that was light fruity um not what i would consider house stark to be mm-hmm. not not <laughs> not way up there in the uh the far north you know you you were expecting it to be a little bit more rugged and uh i was expecting something with like some heavy body to it or something and it it wasn't but now don't get me wrong it was fantastic if anybody's a fan of your typical space sides and stuff that was that was very good and then going into uh, the Night's Watch edition, and oh, for the life of me. Oh, that was Oban. Yeah, that one was Oban. And that was very good. That was very good. And I liked it. I liked it. But I was trying to figure out how it tied in with uh, with the Night's Watch. We might have to do a whole, whole, uh, whole sit-down with the whole lot and try to figure it out because... I mean, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah, that would definitely be worth it. Yeah, like on the, on the first one we tried, the uh, Johnny Walker, White Walker, let's see what it says. Uh, so it's from Cardhu and Kleinlash. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so northern northern Scottish distilleries. I wonder if, you know, uh, one of those – you know, dragons are going to come out on one of the bottles and, you know, maybe that'll be a second edition because one of the dragons got killed and went in there right. and, and came out with the blue eyes and came out with the blue ta- uh, butane, uh, yeah. <laughs> blue ta- butane flame. Yeah. So I'm wondering if something like that will come out because when you think about it, you know, if you get beyond the gimmick and you actually think about all the things that can be done with it, there's a lot that can be done with, you know. Oh, yeah how this how you can tie it into whiskey and you know what i'm trying to wonder and maybe they have and i just don't know about it yet why has no one made Tyrion's wine yet oh <laughs> maybe it's coming yeah i mean somebody's got to do something yeah because he's he's a definite venophile like oh yeah all the time you know i mean if if somebody doesn't do that they're missing out on a huge market right i mean all they have to do is put Tyrion's face on it I mean, Peter Dinklage would probably get behind that. I don't know, but he might get behind that. Well, you heard it here first on a whiskey. Spot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that man because you know every time he had some kind of de- very very nice decanter, whether it was handmade or you know with with leather or whether it's with the the metal, it was always a nice decanter. He'd go to a tray and just pour and pour. And, you know, had good times with it too. Oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. This is rewarding. I have to say thank you for sharing. Oh, of course. Wow. So, guys, if you're listening, Game of Thrones, House of Lannister, Lagavulin. It's uh, Isla Single Malt, nine years old. If you can find it, grab a bottle. Whiskey smoke approved. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it, it got me pretty good the other, uh, what was it, two Fridays ago? No, maybe it was a Saturday. But it was it was well worth it. So far of the four Game of Thrones whiskeys I've tried, I've liked all four. 
and that was the Lannister, Stark, Night's Watch, and the Johnny Walker, White Walker. I haven't had an issue with any one of them. Wow. So, let's see here. If we're talking, we're continuing to talk Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. What's your prediction? Well, if you follow the whole scheme of uh, the the rise of the hero and everything from literature, you know, John John Snow's gonna have to become King of the Seven Kingdoms, and I'm just wondering what's gonna happen with uh, Daenerys and him. I mean, we already know what happened in the last episode, right? But uh, he didn't bow. He didn't take a knee. No, he didn't. Yeah. But I'm wondering if it's going to develop into um, something more with them or or what's going to happen. I'm a little concerned about that. However, I do think Jamie Lannister is pretty much done with the whole Cersei thing. Mm-hmm. And I think he's probably going to join up because really if you look at that character – and this is why I like Jamie Lannister. When you first meet him, you hate his guts. Mm-hmm. But over time, he definitely grows as a character and as a human being. And when you see him finally just be like, this is enough, I'm out of here, you're hoping he goes to do the right thing. And when you think of his whole history as the Kingslayer, he he could have taken the Iron Throne at that point, but he didn't want it. It was never about power with him. It was more or less about doing the right thing. And I think maybe his moral compass got thrown off for a time. But I think it's finally finally well, coming back. Well, some would argue that when he lost his hand, I mean, his yeah. character had to pivot, you know. So right. uh, with, with losing his hand, you know, he probably thought of things different. And, you know, he's not the complete man that he was before. And how can he truly be the Kingslayer when his good hand is now gone? And, you know, so... I don't know. It's it's an interesting dynamic. It's a lot to talk about. You know, you just go on and on about it. Oh yeah, there's so there's so many like little subtle things going on in the series, and that's why I think it's so beloved. Because you can actually absolutely despise one character one minute, and then the next they do something that makes you just root for them. Like the Hound, same yeah. thing. The Hound is just fantastic to watch. Um. And I'm wondering what's going to happen with him. I, I really want to see a fight between him and his brother, Zombie Mountain, <laughs> whatever you want to call him at this point. There's so many different characters and so much character development that they've done over the series. And, I mean, if you look at Hodor and that whole thing and how he became Hodor and where that came from, oh, right. I mean, that was amazing. And then the redemption qualities that they, they give a character that's just worthless on screen. And then all of a sudden they tell the backstory and it's redeeming. It's like, wow, I had counted this guy out. And then next thing you know, I'm rooting for this guy, and then he's killed off. Right. <laughs> so it's just an interesting dynamic. I've never been disappointed in the show. Now, in the beginning, you know, I understand they had to tie it close to the book, but then they kind of strayed off, and that's where I really grew the appreciation for it, you know, because now you got writers writing, and you don't know where it's going to go. Right. And that's the the cool part. You have no idea. And I, How many episodes is going to be this season? Uh, what? Like, what was it last last time? Seven? Yes, yeah, yeah, it was a short it was really run. Short. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out how they're gonna pack it. Are they gonna do a longer uh longer episodes or you know, because that's a lot to pack in. It is. It definitely is. And why did why did they cut back on the number of episodes? Was it just allowed to get uh Martin to catch up on his writing or I don't know. I think they changed writers at some point too. And you know, and those of you listening who are big Game of Thrones fans, please send me an email if I'm wrong. But I think it was something with the writers. I think some people quit or something like that, you know. Um, yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. Yep. But, guys, we're going to talk more about whiskey in just a second. Uh, we're loving this Game of Thrones whiskey and just loving talking about the show in general. So stand by. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to the Whiskey Smoke, guys. We've had a great time here with Harold talking about Game of Thrones and the Game of Thrones whiskeys that we're enjoying. So, Harold, take it away. All right. So since we're on the subject of Game of Thrones and uh, we've got this Bacardi and I was just thinking the Iron Islands and Theon Greyjoy, I just kind of view those guys as 
the Viking pirates of the Game of Thrones world. And uh, I'll go ahead and pour a little bit for you. Okay. And it actually does tie into scotch. Like I said before, it is finished in a sherry cask. And then it's going to be very different because of the uh, the change from the peat. So there you go. All right. Thank you. And I'll kill this one off real quick. Oh, wow. Such a sweet nose. Hmm. Clear my palate and keep going. Wow, that is delicious. I mean, wow. It's like dessert in a glass. Yes, it is. Wow. This apricot just mm, nice. Fruity, very fruity. Actually, that would go pretty good with Christmas dinner, I think. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yes, indeed. Now, the thing about whiskey is that when people come onto the show, they bring whiskey that you can't find. <laughs> <laughs> so as you enjoy it, you just have to wonder, hmm, what is having with Christmas dinner with this? You know, because I won't be having this for Christmas. <laughs> but it's so good. So if you had to choose a favorite Game of Thrones character, who who would you choose? Uh I'd say Tyron Lannister cuz I mean Oh yes. You know, it's just you can't go this guy is the ultimate diplomat. You know, he's taken himself from pretty much being head lopped off to just like winning. Then he goes to be conciliar for Daenerys and just like, wow, how did he do this? You know, and he went from just literally a bad position and diplomatically turned it all the way around. And then just think about all the nuances of his character. He's a drunkard. You know? yeah. Then he kind of redeems himself and you know becomes a little more sober. And then he goes on all of these different journeys where he should have died. And he just continues to just, he's border, borderline immortal. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about it, yeah, yeah. he, he kind of is. Yeah, it's, it's he, he's definitely... I would say probably one of the most nuanced and complex characters on the show. And yeah, he's he's always a he's always a fun one to watch, especially since you never know which direction he's going to go. What uh, about yourself? Um you know, it it's kind of strange. I I've got several favorites. Um Jon Snow, of course, everybody likes Jon Snow. But um one of the ones that most people would never say that they really like is is Tywin Lannister, the father of the Lannister clan. That guy just Oh yeah. He was brutal. He was he was brutal, but he did it in like ah, I don't even have to have words. He just did it in such a way that you had to respect him. Like you just had to ex- respect everything about him, how he came to power and everything else and he did everything with a reason. You might hate him for it, but there was a reason. And it was all about his family in the end. And then Tyrion got him in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what an epic scene. <laughs> oh, boy. But if you if you think about not only Tyrion, I, I misspoke earlier. I said Tywin, I believe. I'm not sure. We've been drinking. But he knew exactly who I was talking about. But... Look at Arya Stark. Oh, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. and the needle, the little sword she had, the needle, and then mm-hmm. her going into that whole thing with the people with no face and all of that. It was just. Oh, yeah. 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 Arya, definitely. And then her dynamic with the Hound also. Right. I think that was probably the closest to a father-daughter relationship on that show, really. Right. He protected her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as much as they hated each other's guts, there's that healthy level of respect and yeah. everything there. So, th- you know what? That actually is what I would like to see is a reunion between those two. I don't know how it's going to end, Yeah, but a reunion between those two. And that's why I said earlier there's so much to pack into it. How are they going to pack all of this backstory and all these nuances and just so little episodes? They have to extend the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I don't know if they're planning on extending it out another year after this run or or what their plans are. I mean, it's hard to say. They're right. going to keep it as quiet as possible. 
Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes for for sure. Yeah, for sure. And not only that, but to see the whiskey that's created around it, you know. Oh yeah. Because I mean, they've done the the whole thing with the scotch. Now, like you said, what if they do a rum line? Or oh, what yeah. if they do a, a, a wine line? You know. See, I could see them doing. I could see them doing wine, and I could see them doing rum. But I couldn't see him doing it with min- really any other spirit. Maybe beer. But and I'm sure somebody probably has. Well, uh, you know what? Didn't uh, Wasn't it Whistlepig that did the, like, the pig in the north and uh, those different bourbons and ryes? I can't remember. I, th- I think it was. I feel I bad because sober I would know this. <laughs> <laughs> but... I think whiskey is one of those things that it, it's you can do so much with it because it's so varied. Like vodka is kind of a one-trick pony, right? Uh, I, I give the exception to European-style vodkas because you can tell a difference between them, but most American vodkas are pretty much the same. Um, Gins, gins have some complexity, but I just don't see the following behind it like we do whiskey. Right. Like I don't see like, how would I put it? I don't see the following of gin and the, I can't really think of what I'm trying to say here. Um, there's not the the push behind gin to make it not accepted, but people won't get behind it as readily as they will whiskey. Right. Uh, they won't support it as much. I put it like this. You don't see gin selling out in, in minutes like you see bottles of bourbon selling out. Oh, no. Or bottles of scotch selling out. Not and, at all. And on the limited release of, of the bourbon or the scotch, I've seen whole barrels sell out in hours. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean... uh People are are really hot for bourbon right now. They have been for a while. Uh, the only thing I'm not really crazy about with uh, whiskey is when they when they flavor it. Now, I understand there's a there's a place for it and everything, but when you're seeing like I never want to see it to get to the point where it did with vodka, where they start having birthday cake bourbon. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh that would be terrible. That's just. That's just when you got to shake your head and go, no, no, please, please don't let it get to that. A point. bridge too far. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, has, has there been any whiskey that you've had that has been majorly impactful on you that changed your mind on uh, spirits or whiskey in general, something that just knocked your socks off? There have been several that have done that, but initially starting off it was uh i would say it was an old charter my dad had oh okay. you know it was one of the the very old charters he had i guess when his father passed his father passed when i was like nine or ten and his father left uh, all of the things you know that he had to him uh cars whiskey you know watches things like that but the whiskey so the whiskey was left to my father and my brother and i we would always, when my dad would leave, we would always drink stuff. But the old charter was just like, I had just a little bit, and I had a little bit of it neat. And this is beyond the point where me and my brother were passing the bottle back and forth. Now, we, when we started, that's how we started. We would get under the bar, and we'd pass the bottle back and forth, and we'd pass out, and he'd find us later. But as time grew, he would tell us to drink at the house, and similar to what your dad told you, you know, go around friends, you mm. do it here. And as time went on, when he'd be gone, we'd pour us a drink and we'd appreciate it, you know, because now you're going into adulthood from kids to adulthood. And since you've seen it and you've embraced it and you now appreciate it, you know what it is. And the thing about those type of whiskeys for me is that when I went to college, you know, you can't find good whiskey like or you can't afford good whiskey like you can when it's at the house and you didn't have oh, yeah. to pay for it. So. I wasn't too big into drinking all of the vodkas and all of the stuff, you know, and I've learned so many different things about vodka over the years. And I just knew that that wasn't for me. I knew that bourbon was my home and I've since grown an appreciation for bourbon. I'm sorry for a scotch, but bourbon has always been, you know, 
my one love. Right. Yeah. But that's what it was. Old charter for me. And now some of the old charter age statements are not even being made anymore. And as I've grown, I've just appreciated great whiskey. And I like whiskey that you can find. I'm not a snobbish person. So mm-hmm. I do have some of the higher end bottles, but I like whiskey that you can find because if I introduce you to something, you know, if you come over to my house or if we meet somewhere or we're drinking, no matter where we are, if I introduce you to something, I want you to continue to have it so that way you build that memory with you right. and I. You know, me and Harold enjoyed this old granddad bottling bond, and right. it's everywhere, you know. So that's that's for me. Now, when we meet at different cigar lounges, uh, you meet Jesse, other friends. Every time I meet with you guys, it's amazing because you guys blow my mind on so many different levels because you experience more spirits than I could possibly ever experience because you guys are, that's what you guys are doing for a living, you know? Right. And with Jesse, he's been in it far be, so many years far beyond me that it's just amazing. So with whiskey, it's just, for me, it's the camaraderie. I can't yes. put it past anything, put, it, put anything past the camaraderie because... It's, it doesn't really matter what we're drinking. It's the time that we share together. Right. Yeah. I mean, that you could drink. I don't think there's a such thing as the best whiskey ever. But you could be drinking that. And if your company is not up to snuff, then it doesn't matter what you're drinking. It's not going to be an impactful experience. You could be drinking Old Crow <laughs> I don't even know if they make that anymore, but you could be drinking that. And if the company is is solid and everybody's together and you're having a great time, it doesn't matter at that point. Right. It doesn't matter what you're drinking, but you'll remember that and you'll pass that bottle in the store probably on the bottom shelf and just be like, yeah, yeah I, I got to call that. I got to yeah. call the guys up. It's yeah. time it's time to get the group together. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I totally get where you're where you're coming from on that because, uh, like I have some good bottles at home, but not that many. Everything that I have is definitely meant to be enjoyed whenever anybody wants to come over. So, I, like the c- couple of higher end bottles that I do have, um, I enjoy them, but they're best enjoyed amongst friends. And if you can't do that, then you know why. What's you, the point? Yeah, yeah. Why, why do you have it? What's the point? So, and it, you know, some of the most impactful times I've had has been at the cigar lounges with, with you guys, Jesse, or outside of the cigar lounge with a couple of my friends, Randall and Noe, or um, some of my coworkers like Narissa, Sarah, Rachel, um, and Jordan. You know, fantastic crowd. Um, and when we can get together and talk about stuff like that, uh, I could say to my friends Erica or Christina, like, let's let's have this, and we can all get together at this bar, and it's it's fantastic. That's what really makes an experience worthwhile, is just the coming together. It's just kind of like if you have a barbecue or something, you know, same thing. You know, the food's good, but it's really about the people company, that are yeah. there. Yeah, the company you keep. You know, the thing for me is that whenever I meet with you guys. Most of the times, if it's bourbon or scotch, I know about it. But you guys always venture out. You know, sometimes I feel like a complete novice with you guys. And that's impressive to say for (laughs) I'm no expert at everything, but that's impressive to say because I've drank so much with the purpose of trying to know a little bit about everything. But I drink with you guys and I feel like a complete novice. I mean, I've come to the museum and you introduced me to the Magnus and man, we have that at the house now just because of you. And I've drank with you before and I've brought friends over that their whiskey walk is like two steps, you know, right. and you didn't make them feel uncomfortable. You actually showed them the way. And now they're buying oodles and oodles of whiskey. I just love how when you meet people, it just becomes infectious. You know, I love that. And, and that's that's what I try to do. Like uh, last night we did happy hour at the museum and um I did a I did a special. I put some whiskeys out for five dollars, and I had one out there for nine dollars. So, the whiskeys I had out there, I had Old Forester nineteen twenty for five dollars. I had, um, but it was cold last night. I was outside <laughs> you had the in that wind. Proof, yeah, 
And uh, let's see, I have Old Forester, uh, 1920, Gentleman Jack, um, Balvini, 12-year, uh, Highland Park, 12. What was the other one? Uh, Compass Box Spice Tree. And those were all $5, $5 a pour. And then I went and did the Glenmore and G Signet for $9. Man, that's a bang for buck. That <sighs> is so amazing. And I, tr- I try to do this every so often to introduce people to this stuff so they can actually try it. Because I know what was frustrating for me when I was just like coming up and you'd hear people bragging about, oh, yes, I've had Pappy Van Winkle, of course. Do that and, voice again. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you're just like, uh, yes, I've had the Pappy Van Winkle. But uh, you hear that and then you really want it. You look for the, you look for it on the menu and when you actually get your hands on it and you see that it's $70 a pour, if not more, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's more, you just kind of go, is it worth it? Right. And it might be good, but is it really worth it? Especially if you're out and you're picking up the bill for dinner, you don't know how expensive it's going to be. Maybe you do. And if you're prepared to pay for it, great. But is an ounce and a half pour going to really you know, be worth $70. And it's good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's delicious stuff. But if you can't enjoy it with people that you care about and have fun with, eh, yeah. well, you know, what's what's the purpose of it yeah. then? And I would much rather have like, like say that bottle of Old Forester 1920. That's great stuff. It's mm-hmm. fantastic stuff. And it's it's so good and when you can when you can share it with somebody at a price that's not going to break their bank and they can ask where can i get this um it's like oh it's available pretty much everywhere you know then you know when they go into the store and they see the price tag on it they can justify that right and that might be their good stuff but there's there's nothing wrong with that there's not a thing wrong with that and that's What's that go for? About fifty, sixty dollars, mm-hmm. somewhere right, in that range. Yeah. yeah, and it's a solid whiskey, hundred and fifteen proof, and it doesn't drink like a hundred and fifteen proof. A lot of people hear that and they're like, "Oh my god, that's, that's too hot. hot!" Yeah, yeah, but it's it's not. It goes down smooth. It's got some body to it. I said smooth, and I hate using that <laughs> term, but it's universally accepted. It's know. universally accepted, but you know when you're when you're trying to talk about it and. Smooth is not a taste. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, guys, it's been lovely talking whiskey with Harold, and we can sit here and talk whiskey, Game of Thrones, and pipe tobacco, and so many other things because Harold's a true gentleman. Harold, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Anytime, sir. And until next time, guys, whiskey, cigars, good company. Thank you for listening to us here on the Whiskey Smoke. Have a great one.